Welcome to another PI World podcast. This is an audio-only version offered as another way to enjoy our great content. A full video version can be seen on piworld.co.uk, where you can find many more videos of interest to investors. Good afternoon, everybody. Thank you for joining us for the presentation of our interim results end in April 23. So um, just a brief summary of uh, those who don't know us. I'm Gareth Davis. I'm Chief Exec. I've been Chief Exec now for five years. Uh, I've also been with the business with Wednesday since 1999. So my background is very much agricultural sales and uh, commercial sales management. And prior to my appointment as CEO, uh, I was overseeing the agricultural division uh, for the previous 10 years. So um, just introduce Paul to you. Uh, just complementing the sentiment of an experienced management team, uh, I've been with the business over 35 years, but have just recently announced my intention to retire. Okay, thank you, Paul. Slide here gives an overview as to what the business is for those who are not too familiar with the business. So our business is very much about supplying farmers and customers in the rural communities. The business itself started as a cooperative in 1918, uh, becoming a PLC in 1992, and on to the Ames market in 2004. I'm often asked the question as to uh, what does our business actually do? But I'll summarise it very clearly, really, that we help farmers, uh, both arable and livestock farmers, produce food in a sustainable manner. We have a very clear strategy, and it is based upon supplying both agricultural inputs and also services to farmers within Great Britain. We don't export as such. We're predominantly GB mainland. And we supply most products with the exception of agricultural machinery. So therefore, we don't supply tractors and combine harvesters, etc. Our product portfolio is as much as 25,000 SKUs or thereabouts. A key difference to our business to many is that we do have a balanced business model. Uh, by that, I mean that we do supply both livestock and arable farmers. And generally speaking, our revenues from those two divisions are pretty well similar. Um, the fact that we supply both sects of farmers uh, basically gives us a natural hedge within the business. Some of you would have heard me say previously uh, the term horn v corn. So what that basically means that you'll often find that the arable farmer is doing particularly well and therefore um, uh, having good returns for what he's doing. But because wheat is then um, used in, in feed materials to feed animals, sometimes the cost of production for those people is more than it was. So therefore, the arable farmer is doing well and maybe the livestock farmer not so good. And that actually has a reverse as well. That natural hedge within our business does help us deliver consistent results. The slide here shows that we actually report in two divisions. Now, that's agriculture, specialist agricultural merchanting. Within agriculture, we have a feed division which manufactures and supplies feed to a range of animals. Arable, processing fertilizer, Processing seed, both grass and cereal seeds, small agrochemical business, but also complemented by a grain marketing business known as GrainLink. A subsidiary within agricultural division is Glass and Grain Limited, which is based up in Lancashire. So it's actually on a small dock on the River Loon. The Glass and business trades feed raw materials, some of which are imported into that dock. On the dock side also has a small manufacturing facility and whilst the rest of the business manufactures feed for larger farm animals, this business actually manufactures feed for, for pet and wild birds. And also within the glass and business is our fertiliser blending operation. The other division is specialist agricultural merchanting, which comprises of our 53 depots, which predominantly cater for farmers within the communities. These depots are very akin, really, to uh, a builder's merchant. So effectively, 80% of the trade will be done with farmers on account, no, no different to a builder. Uh, but at the same time, both you and I can go into those builder's merchants and into our depots to be able to purchase product either by cash or card. Again, a subsidiary within a division is Young's Animal Feeds, which manufactures and distributes equine products. The reason for the fact that Glasson and Young's are in the subsidiaries is that whilst fully owned by the business, they do actually supply product to some of the competitors that we have as Winstay. And whilst those competitors are fully aware that the business is owned by Winstay, it does give a difference that the invoice may come from Glasson or Young's annual feeds. Our routes to market are varied. Farmers come and collect from the depots, have product delivered to farms, so effectively those 
depot collections could well be two or three times a week. Same farmers. Whilst in the agricultural division, most of those products are either in bulk form or full load form and will be delivered to farm. Whilst at the same time, you'd often find that we have the same customers in the depots as what we do in the agricultural division. Our link with farmers is twofold. Either expert advisors who by appointment would go and see farmers and discuss their business and their requirements. And we'd have advisors across the whole sector, being dairy, uh, beef and sheep, free range eggs, um, arable, for example, and also uh, going to the depots. And whilst at the depots, they will also have the opportunity of um, taking specialist catalogues with them, which would be dairy, beef, sheep or poultry. And we'd often find that uh, when we go into new areas, particularly new areas, that these catalogues are very similar really to an Argos catalogue as such. People will take these catalogues away and in due course uh, would be in touch having seen something maybe on a certain page and have a certain interest in. And very much in its infancy form is our digital platform. We have about 23,000 active accounts now at this moment in time. And of those, 3,000 are signed up to the digital portal, in fact. But the majority of the activity on that portal is people accessing their accounts and looking to pay by that form. The actual amount of online trading that we do is very small. And we do do surveys across the industry and across our, our, our customers to understand how they want to deal. And certainly at this moment in time, uh, whilst we do, as farmers do seek information in a digital manner, actually trading with people is fairly small. And, and the fact of that is, is that uh, most of them on accounts, uh, many farmers like to barter, and also uh, their requirements will change from month to month, uh, depending on, um, on, on weather conditions and seasonality, uh, etc. That map there will give you an indication of where we actually trade. And the map on the left-hand side is our market share within a certain area. And we're here, we're based on the borders of England and Wales. And that's where you expect, I guess, where our greatest market penetration is. But certainly over a period of time, we've spread out across England and right up into Scotland as well. And within the appendix of the presentation, there is a page showing our acquisitions. I think it's just over 33, 34 now since 2004. The green circles indicate where our fertilizer plants are, either in the north of England and Montrose in Scotland. The orange circles indicate where our feed manufacturing sites are, predominantly on the western side of the country, because that's where the animals are. The exception to that being the recent Humphrey acquisition, which is down in Hampshire. And right in the middle is our seed processing plant at Shrewsbury. Size of the business, people-wise, it's just about 960 as we speak now. And the majority of the product we actually deliver to farm is within our own vehicles, 110 commercial vehicles as we speak. The right-hand map is an indication of where our depots are. They notice that they're on the left-hand side of the country because our model is based around livestock farmers. Arable farmers, which we deal with on the eastern side predominantly, would buy maybe two or three times a year a limited amount of product, being fertilizer, a cereal, seed and agrochemicals predominantly. Well, the livestock farmer would buy a wider portfolio of products and may well go to those depots even two or three times a week on their base on the left-hand side. So just come into the half year that we've just uh, reporting on then. I'm very pleased with the performance of the business. It's been robust and the underlying performance is certainly in line with our expectations. So trading conditions have softened as we've gone into the new year, particularly into quarter two in some sectors of the agricultural community, which has resulted in weaker farmer sentiment in some sectors. And in contrast to last year, Glasson's blended fertiliser operations did contend with adverse stock value realisations, which has impacted our profits by about one and a half million. But Paul will give you more detail on that later in the presentation. Over the period, volatility continues, certainly in commodities, and also inflation cost pressures have impacted some sectors. However, when I look at the business, our balanced business model of supply in both livestock and arable farmers with that natural hedge has certainly helped us as a business to smooth the variations in sector profitability. The balanced business model is very much core of our strategy. The financial base that we have, the strong financial base and balance sheet has certainly enabled us to be able to continue to grow the business. And the recent acquisitions of Humphrey back in March 2022 and Tamer right at the beginning of this period will deliver long-term strategic benefits. 
In relation to the Humphrey business, it has delivered a positive contribution in the first half, whilst it is lower than what we would have anticipated. And the reason for that is avian influenza. The disruption caused by avian influenza reducing the number of birds uh, to feed over the short term and therefore reducing the amount of tons that we've manufactured into that sector. But however, in the long term, uh, that business will certainly contribute to the long term growth of, of Wednesday. Tamer is the first manufacturing facility that we've got in the southwest of England as far as ruminant feed goes and is very much an important strategic move for us and it's certainly bedded in well over that six month period. And a small incorporation into the business is a trading business of SG Deakins on the border of Powys and Herefordshire, which came in December and has certainly helped the business over that period of time. The financial strength that we have as a business has enabled us to continue investing in the facilities that we have, particularly feed and seed, and also a significant investment in renewable energy. And Paul will give you more detail of that later in the presentation. And in order to propel growth and take our strategy forward, I have made some significant changes to the executive team. Uh, Neil Richardson, who came into our business as MD of Humphrey Feeds and Pullets, uh, vast experience in feed logistics and, and engineering, now takes the role of group feed operations and engineering director. Andrew Evans, who was previously overseeing feed, uh, in addition to sustainability, which he maintains, now takes on the role of supply chain and innovation director. And a new position that I brought into the business is head of strategic delivery. Uh, this has been taken by Paul Godwin, uh, who's been with the business for a number of years. And this role will be very much key to work with the executive team to ensure that we uh, look for projects, look for opportunities to be able to deliver our strategic ambitions. So I think in summary of the first half, I mean, despite the short-term challenges that the business has encountered, we are now a bigger business and we certainly have the capability of expanding further in line with our strategic plan. And I'd like to ask Paul to go through the financial highlights. Thanks, Gareth. Um, just to recap, our business model is very much what I refer to as absolute unit margin, which really means that underlying revenue is not necessarily the best metric to measure the performance of the business. And I mentioned that because the last two years have been a period of particularly uh, inflationary uh, environment for uh, commodity prices. And that has been uh, the story in the uh, interim results that we have just reported. During that period, we have experienced just under 50 million of increased revenue, simply as a result of underlying commodity price increases, which we have had to pass on through to customers. That inflationary trajectory actually changed towards the end of this period. From the beginning of March, most prices are now downward progression signs. The impact on the net profit of the business during the period has been impacted by what Gareth's already alluded to, a one-off impact on fertilizer stock values, which is the total reverse of what happened during the previous year, where the company experienced a series of upward lifts in fertilizer values caused by events primarily around the Ukraine war. Towards the beginning of uh, March this year, the uh, global prices for arable nutrients uh, did take a violent um, uh, drop, some 30% uh, fall in the price of ammonium nitrate, the, uh, the primary uh, product that uh, we're involved in trading. Our position for manufacturing raw materials meant that that fall in prices actually created a one and a half million stock impact on our bottom line results. Having said that, our underlying EBT was five and a quarter million after incorporating that impact. And that has obviously fallen through to earnings per share, which was also impacted by the near 30% increase in the headline rate of corporation tax introduced from the 1st of April. 
The higher revenue numbers, although not necessarily contributing any additional contribution to the performance of the business, does have a substantial impact on working capital. And that funding requirement did cause overall net debt to increase to 10.5 million in the period. And I'll share a little bit more detail on that in the slides to come. But we are a strongly asset-backed business with 132 million of net assets, which represents some £5.90 per share. And we're very proud of our dividend record, which has shown an average annual growth of some 7% over every year since the company joined the AIM market in 2004. The interim dividend has been increased by 2%, and we're confident that we will be able to report the 20th year of annual growth when those numbers come through at the end of the financial year. The track record graphs are really just to demonstrate the trend line, the progression of the business over the last five years. The detail of the results, I think, have generally been touched on as far as the headlines are concerned, so I won't dwell on the income statement. The balance sheet, again, I've highlighted the asset-backed nature of the business and would just emphasise that we have no pension deficit on our balance sheet as we have no defined benefit obligations. As far as cash flow is concerned, the strong cash annual figure is probably better demonstrated on the next slide, which is an old-fashioned debt reconciliation statement, which shows profit in cash terms. Obviously, compared to last year, we don't have the one-off gains that were being reported, but the substantial outflow is evident on this slide as far as working capital is concerned, reconciling down to the reported debt numbers, which again are better described by reference to a net debt cycle graph, where the seasonality of our business is evident. A substantial buildup of working capital in the first half always reverses in the second half the income that we're anticipating to come from the unwinding of the previous inflationary environment is likely to exacerbate that and we are anticipating reporting significant cash balances at the end of the year as the interim peak reverses into the second half. Even though the peak at 10.7 million during the period, we still have substantial banking facilities of just under 30 million with more than adequate headroom to fund the significant and exciting investment programme that we have in mind. Just by way of introduction for Gareth to give you a little bit more divisional details, the segment diagrams here are designed to demonstrate the balanced business model that we operate. So as an introduction to the agricultural division, I'll just give an overview here of the current agricultural trading environment. So the top of the table, or yes, the top half of the table, is very much in relation to farm outputs and commodities, so therefore what the farmers have for their product. You can see from this, there's been significant volatility in farm uh, outputs of the past 18 months. And uh, during the first half of our financial year, we've certainly seen farmer sentiment weaken in some of these sectors, particularly grain and milk. So if we take grain, significant swings there. So grain levels are now very much back to effectively what they were pre the Ukraine crisis. And this is as a result of large global stocks. Milk from at farm gate level did reach about 50 pence per litre, actually, which is a record level for milk, just about the turn of the calendar year. These levels have come back now as the supply has gone above weakening demand, although very much short, and particularly on a global basis from China, um, we're back now to about 36 pence per litre. Beef, we've seen, we've seen a very, very strong beef market again to record highs, certainly in the first half, weakened a little bit of late, actually, probably as a result of the cost of living crisis having an impact. But on a very positive note, free-range eggs, which you've heard me saying earlier in the presentation, had suffered a little bit. We've now seen the price of egg turn uh, now again to a record level, whilst at the same time, we've also seen a weakening of the feed price. And about 60% of the cost of producing an egg is actually feeding the hen. And the main ingredient of that feed uh, would be would be wheat. So you can see really that the balance that I referred to earlier on certainly has an impact when it comes to how our customers are performing. But despite some of these uh, some of these sectors having a drop in, uh, in, in income as such, uh, or certainly from farm outputs, what they receive for their materials, 
The bottom table clearly demonstrates that costs have also come down. I've concentrated here on what I see as some of the higher costs for our farmers, and that being diesel, power, in other words, you can see that has dropped. But within the table, I've highlighted fertilizer by a table because it actually relates to what we spoke about with glass, and then you can see those significant swings there. But overall, I would say, as far as uh, challenges for our customers, it's right through the food supply chain, and that's labor, whether it be the supply of uh, skilled labor, but also the increased cost as well. And that's true of whether it's our producers, whether it's ourselves, and the processors who process food into the retail chain. Given the overview of the feed division, we've certainly expanded our geographical reach. And as a result of that with the acquisitions, we've also increased our manufacturing facilities. However, during the period, like with like sales, they reduced by about 7%. So the differential between uh, our actual at 1.3 and 7% is the differential from Tamer, the tons that came in from Tamer. The Humphrey tonnage or the business is actually separate to this because um, uh, due to the earnout period, we actually run Humphreys as a subsidiary uh, for, the, for, for this period of time. Uh, this reduction is very much in line with national trend, partly for the reasons I've said earlier, uh, a reduction in, in food and the free range hens. And also in the second quarter, uh, dairy farm, um, farmers would have tightened their belts a little bit as milk prices were, were coming down. So whilst the free range egg sector has certainly been challenging, the integration of Humphrey feeds and pullets into Wednesday agricultural supplies is certainly on track. And we have now combined the brands to be rebranded as Wednesday Humphrey feeds and pullets. As we look forward, uh, the Carmarthen Mill project is certainly progressing well. And Paul will give you a little bit more detail later in the presentation. And as far as the Khan project is concerned, if you recall, when we bought the Humphrey business, we're operating on our lease at the current site, the Twyford site, which is the, the ownership has been retained by the Humphrey family. But we also bought a mothball plant at Khan, which would give us opportunities of considering our options as we go forward. And we're certainly still in that position as we consider what is the best option to go forward to give the best return on capital. We are committed to a feed manufacturing facility in that part of the world to service the M4 corridor and the southwest of England. But very much what we are doing, uh, I'd like to highlight, is working with our farmers to deliver their environmental outcomes, which is a key point of difference for, for us. Uh, all the soya and the palm kernel that we source for our customers are grown in a sustainable manner. Uh, we've just carried out, uh, we're engaged in a, um, a trial with free range egg producers, actually, uh, to uh, feed a certain type of phosphate that will end with a reduction in the amount of phosphate that goes through into farmyard manure. You may be aware that in certain parts of the country, there are issues uh, seemingly with agricultural pollution and maybe phosphates going into, uh, into certain river courses. And also we're, we're working with uh, our suppliers in terms of methane inhibitors. We're already including a methane inhibitor in some of our feeds and we're, we're looking at extra trials as well to reduce the amount of methane that comes from ruminant animals. The balanced model within the arable division has certainly helped us deliver a strong performance. Grainlink, a marketing business, traded volumes as much as 27% above the same period last year. The majority of this increase come in, in the eastern side of the country, an area which we have for a number of years now targeted for geographical expansion. Coupled with that, our sales of spring cereal seed has been good, about 6% above last year, which is outperforming the marketplace. And in addition to a large acreage planted in the autumn, which I referred to at the full year results back in January, our expectations are now of a very large harvest this year. Crops are looking good. So there'll be a good amount of grain to trade, which is good news for Grainlink, because that's exactly what we do. As we look forward, we're very much focused on increasing market share, particularly in grain trading, and also following our recent capital investment in that, at Astley, at Shrewsbury, we are very confident of increasing our market share of grass seed, not only in traditional grass seed mixtures, but also, and particularly so, in an, our environmental seed offering of grass seed mixtures, which include wildflowers, uh, pollinators and herbs. As farmers now respond to incentives from the various government schemes, central government, the environmental land management scheme, and the devolved nation, particularly in Wales, of the sustainable farming scheme, which will award farmers 
to, uh, to improve both uh, wildlife habitats and also soil structure. The Glasson business, which I referred to as a subsidiary up in Lancashire, and part of this I think we've covered earlier in the presentation, particularly around the fertiliser situation in the first half, but I am particularly pleased how well the Glasson executive have managed this challenge by ensuring that our fertiliser stock levels throughout the process were kept to a minimum during critical periods. As a processor of blended fertiliser, we will always be in a position of what I call longer material. In other words, having more material than what you particularly sold, because that's what you need to do as a manufacturer. But as fertiliser prices are now at more sustainable levels, we are more confident that this will encourage increased sales going forward. In addition to the fertiliser business within class and the fee trading activity performed well and certainly in line with expectations. However, the cost of living crisis has impacted sales of product manufactured within the specialist feed operation. I mentioned earlier on uh, that uh, we manufacture wild bird food particularly, and, as, and that the cost of living crisis has certainly reduced volumes there. But looking forward, those government and environmental policies that will reward farming for their environmental outcomes, we believe will reduce the total volume of fertilizer that will be used in the UK. But we see there's an opportunity at Glasson because each farm will be now required to do, to do a nutrient management plan. What that means is that each farm will need to analyse this soil to understand what is the nutrient value of the soil, phosphate, potash, for example. They'll also have to do a nutrient management plan that if they are applying any livestock manures, becomes part of the fertiliser requirement. And the differential for optimum crop growth will then be from bought-in fertilisers. So the analysis of fertiliser will vary from farm to farm. And I think we at Glasson have an opportunity there because we are able to manufacture product, small runs of materials, i.e. Uh, lower, lower volumes of tonnes in one go. So therefore, we'll be able to manufacture product which is specific to a certain farm. So whilst volumes will reduce to a degree, we see the opportunity of being able to enhance margin from bespoke fertiliser manufacture. And across the business at Glasson, we'll continue to seek efficiencies, particularly in that core mill I refer to, uh, to reduce the cost of manufacturing. And that cost saving program is already underway. The depots, the 53 depots, revenues within the depots did increase over the period by 4%, but that was particularly driven by agricultural inflation, product inflation, and the profitability within the sector was impacted. So sales of certain good margin product groups, such as Wednesday branded bag feed were down, down 10%. The main reason for that is chicken feed was down because of even influenza. Many people with small chicken flocks, backyard flocks, as I call them, uh, they were reduced because of even influenza. And also bag feed to the sheep market was also reduced because April was uh, a particularly mild open month whilst it was wet. So feed, uh, feed, um, sheep feeding season uh, was, was rather short as well. And hardware sales within hardware is fencing materials. So farmer sentiment weakened, farmers tightened their belts a bit and would have put off replacing uh, fences for another year maybe. And also costs within the sector would have increased. We were fortunate within the wider business that we had electricity contracts in place for our feed manufacturing sites, which absorbed the majority of electricity, but within the depots we didn't. So therefore, we did enter new contracts from the 1st of November to the end of April. But I'm pleased to say now that the contracts we've entered now since the 1st of May forward are certainly more advantageous to the business. The depots do mind remain a very, very key route to market for Wednesday. And what we will continue to do is upskill the staff that we have. Many of our staff, as Paul mentioned earlier, do come from agricultural backgrounds. They have a good knowledge of the sector. So our role is to increase their product knowledge, whether it be in animal health. We are one of the leading suppliers of animal health in the country. You'll notice on the right-hand side, I've quoted market shares. There. It is a very fragmented market that we operate in. But Wednesday would be the leading animal health supplier in the country, a 12% market share. In order to do that, we have to have qualified people. So within the depots, we have about 200 people now who are qualified to be able to advise and sell animal health products. In addition to animal health, we train people on feed, on, on grassland products, on seed. And it does give us a point of difference over some of our competitors. 
So just moving forward to recap on our growth strategy, we also presented this on a number of times before. The market we operate in, UK agriculture is fairly mature. So our pillar of growth is very much organic on a slowly but surely basis, but also by acquisition, which we referred to earlier on. Manufacturing is key to our strategy. We seek those opportunities where we can bring more manufacturing to the business. Good example being Humphrey and Tamer of late. ESG is a key pillar, which I'll refer to in a second, and digital, which I've already referred to. But as we look to grow the business, we'll do it both organically and by acquisition. Uh, we are very proactive in searching for those acquisitions, but those acquisitions will need to add long-term value to the business and across both divisions, because it is absolutely clear that uh, we do have the aim of maintaining a balanced business model right across the group. I'll ask Paul to... Um, just go on to our investments, if you would, please. So as Gareth has mentioned, a clear pillar of our communicated strategy is investment in manufacturing efficiency and, where possible, adding value to a number of the commodities that we are involved with. We see this as the essential way of improving uh, the net margins of the business. So there is a significant investment programme in place for the business where we anticipate investing up to 25 million over the next three years in such manufacturing efficiency programmes. Gareth's already explained the Khan mill redevelopment programme that was associated with the Humphreys acquisition, which we had previously highlighted at an approximate cost of some 30 million, representing about half of that investment programme. But in addition to this, we have already improved the production capacity and efficiency elements of our seed processing plant in Shrewsbury. And we have further plans now to invest in 30,000 square feet of additional warehousing to improve distribution efficiency on that site at probably a cost of some three million pounds. The Kamartha Mill project, Gareth has mentioned earlier on, to potentially double the manufacturing capabilities at that site. And the photograph on the right-hand side is the first phase of that, the finished product storage and dispatch facility. So we were about halfway through that six million pound project. But also excitingly, we have an interest in renewable energies program where we've allocated five million pounds uh, to effectively produce electricity to eliminate the majority of our scope to carbon emissions, those from bought in electricity. One million will be spent on that project in the first year, but as well as ticking the important milestones towards our net zero target, it's an extremely attractive proposition, providing a 25% return on the investment, because we are very much able to consume the electricity that is generated directly within the manufacturing sites where we're going to be installing these solar arrays. So again, when that building on the right-hand side is actually fully clad, the roof will basically consist of solar panels. And again, as has already been mentioned, we continue our investment in our colleague base where upskilling of staff is a critical USP for this business. ESG is a pillar of our strategy, and as a business, we have a clear ambition of becoming carbon neutral by 2040, and that will be as a result of activities that we do within the business. Uh, we are progressing well, and we will prepare a TCFD report for the 2023 annual report. To help us deliver our ambitions, um, we have now engaged with a sustainable farm advisory team. And that's working well. So that team uh, consists of um, experts from within the industry, uh, senior experts who have uh, a knowledge and experience of, uh, of sustainability. And uh, also the appointment of uh, recently now the non-executive director, Stephen Eason. Uh, he also brings uh, a wide knowledge of um, the food industry, what's the food supply chain uh, to our business as well. I'd just like to mention, really, that in addition to some of the national charities that we seem to support, whether it be Children with Cancer or the Royal Agricultural Benevolent Institution, or RABI is often known, many of us work and live within the rural communities. I was just looking last week, actually, that we're currently supporting in excess of 230 projects, events, uh, agricultural shows, etc., within the communities that we work and live. 
how are we supporting our farmers deliver their environmental outcomes? As you're aware, environmental legislation, which is now being introduced to our farmers by both central and devolved governments, actually does support our growth strategy exceptionally well. So we're engaged with our farmers, as I mentioned earlier on, with nutrient management plans to enable them to seek optimum plant growth and reduction of pollution, improving their soil health with deep-rooted herbs and rotations from the livestock sector, improving animal health through animal health plans. Those trials that we're carrying out to reduce phosphate, for example, and to ensure right across the business that we are committed to seeking both raw materials and products for resale that have been sustainably manufactured and grown. So as a business, you know, we continue to seek uh, both innovative products and to provide help and advice so that our farmers can deliver uh, their environmental and sustainability targets by collaboration throughout the food chain. And a good example of that collaboration is a trial that was sponsored at Harper Adams University College. Uh, that is a 15-acre site looking at um, varieties of soya. So soya, uh, there's no soya actually grown commercially in the UK at this moment in time. The majority comes from the Americas. And I was thinking to myself, actually, about 25 years ago, uh, there was very little forage, um, uh, forage maize grown on the western side of the country. That is now very much part of the rotation, crop rotation of many, of many dairy farmers. So maybe there will be the opportunity uh, once we uh, look at um, varieties, etc., of growing soy in the country. But I'll certainly keep you updated with the developments that, of, of that opportunity over the next year or so. I'd just like to highlight a point of difference that we do have as a business, and that's the agricultural events that we hold for our customers. Very clearly a point of difference over many of our competitors. We hold an arable event on an annual basis. It's held at Shifnal uh, near Telford. And on a biannual uh, basis, we hold a beef and sheep event. And this is, this is really for our customers uh, to look at new technologies, uh, sustainable farming techniques, as I mentioned earlier on, uh, whether it be soil health, if you look at the picture on the left-hand side and the bottom left, that's a working demonstration of minimum tillage. So therefore, disturbing the soil less and there'll be less carbon going to the atmosphere. Then there's trial plots, up-to-date varieties, new varieties being introduced so our farmers can come and see whether those varieties are appropriate for them to use in the future. Industry speakers and also workshops across the products that we sell. So what we're looking to do here as a business is promote Wednesday very much as the one-stop shop for innovation, products and advice, and effectively helping our farmers to feed the UK in a sustainable way. So I think in summary and the outlook, the business has performed well. Uh, it has been a challenging environment. And whilst the full year outcome is likely to remain dented as a result of adverse stock realisations at Glasson, Prospects for the second half of the year are encouraging, particularly within the arable sector and also the recovery of the free-range egg sector. Looking forward, the long-term future of British agriculture and food production remains strong, as both food security and food self-sufficiency have certainly risen up the political agenda. And that's really as a result of uh, some of the um, global issues, uh, the Ukraine crisis, for example, and also the COVID pandemic as well. So the Wednesday Group Board is very confident that as a business, Wednesday is well-placed to deliver objectives, not only in the short term for the full trading year, but also beyond. And our strong cash position, our robust balance sheet, and particularly that balanced business model, which does provide us with the internal hedge, will allow us to continue to invest not only within the business, but also seek those acquisitions, uh, which will add scale, and uh, the ability to deliver long-term growth alongside our strategic ambitions. So that brings me to the end of the presentation, and we're very happy to take questions in due course. And the first question is about the egg market, which has been through a difficult time with bird flu. I noticed that your statement mentioned that the free-range egg market is now beginning to recover. It's obviously an important feed sector for you. Can you update us on the current state of the market? Yeah, there's, uh, there's, two, there's two sides to that. Then there's the economics uh, in addition to bird flu. So maybe if we look at economics first and foremostly, um, 
I think over the last 12, 18 months, uh, margins within free range egg production has certainly been impacted uh, twofold in many respects. Price of egg to start with, uh, the supermarkets were keeping egg at a reasonably low level. And also at the same time, the cost of feeding the hen went up because grain went up. Uh, as a result of that, some farmers chose not to restock. Um, the facilities were kept there. But the bird cycle, a laying bird cycle, uh, a bird comes in to lay at 16 weeks of age um, and then uh, ends its laying life effectively at 76 weeks of age. So it is a fairly quick turnaround cycle as such. Uh, so some people chose not to restock. Um, and what we've seen then since then is that feed has come down in, in cost and the price of egg has gone up now at a record level. So margins are, look, are looking particularly strong. And certainly we'll see that coming through into the end of the second half of our, of our financial year and certainly into next year. The impact of avian influenza um, did uh, that, that has tailed off to a degree. I mean, it hasn't gone away, so please don't get me wrong there. But uh, we're certainly seeing in our pullet business now that farmers are placing orders for pullets. So uh, the Humphrey pullet business is about rearing chicks from one day of age up to 16 weeks, and then they become a laying bird. And our orders for there, we've effectively got a full book now. I know that our competitors will be in, this, in the same situation. So certainly confidence has come back to the free range egg sector. And I see that inventories reduced as fertiliser replacement costs fell, but this was more than balanced by adverse year-on-year -year movements in receivables and payables. Were these year-on-year -year movements linked or were there other factors? And is working capital fairly normal for this time of year? Quite a few, um, quite a few elements to that question. Um, just Taking the inventories uh, firstly, uh, that um, fall in price scenario has certainly uh, impacted the carrying uh, volumes and indeed the lower values of uh, fertilizer uh, inventories. So that was a significant element. The prices were already slipping, so we were being particularly cautious. Uh, obviously, that didn't compensate sufficiently for the, uh, the very violent drop in prices that the 30 percent drop that was experienced uh in march so uh, it very much is a a fertilizer driven scenario as far as stocks are concerned but also that crosses over into other elements of working capital particularly on the payable side which has reduced year on year uh, a lot of the fertilizer raw materials are actually offered from traditional suppliers uh, on extended credit terms. The absence of some of those suppliers, partly because of the sanction regimes and, and partly because of the reorganization of um, the, uh, the shortage of, of materials, we've not been able to benefit from some of those extended payment terms. And they've all contributed to uh, those balance sheet numbers that were reported at the end of April. Certainly, as far as working capital uh, is concerned, we are already uh, experiencing the reverse that was anticipated, which, as I said earlier on in the presentation, has actually been um, exacerbated by the um, by the deflationary environment that we're now operating in, which will result in a lot less cash being tied up by the time we get to this year and probably compared to the previous year. It's 16 months since the company's acquisition of Humphreys Feeds in March 2022. You mentioned that the redevelopment of the mothballed mill at Khan remains under consideration. When is a decision likely and what are the current cost estimates involved? And should the redevelopment not proceed in the manner originally proposed, will this result in a write-down in the value of the acquisition and if so, to what extent? I'll cover just the first part of that, maybe, and Paul will cover the financials, if that's okay. So as far as uh, uh, the development of the site at Khan, uh, we, we clearly had a lease, uh, a peppercorn rent, uh, on, the, on the site at Twyford. So we purchased the site at Khan uh, from the Humphrey business. It was already part of the Humphrey business whilst it was closed. And that gave us the opportunity then to consider whether that was the right place to develop the, uh, our next manufacturing facility. So. Um, when we bought it, uh, we had uh, tabled the fact that uh, we felt we could redevelop it for 13 and a half million. Uh, we put that in the public domain. 
uh, cost increased from there with the, with the um, COVID pandemic and the Ukraine crisis, etc. Well, certainly the Ukraine crisis in this particular case. So at this moment in time, uh, we are considering a number of options. Um, you asked the question as to when do I think we'll be in a position to give more detail on those options. It'll it'll be into the autumn months when we're when we've concluded as to the best way forward. But I can assure you, there's a number of options ongoing, and uh, we will have a facility in the southwest. The uh, the board is very confident that those options will provide the um, ability to actually satisfy the acquired Humphrey volumes. So the uh, the risks of write downs, uh, as was mentioned in the question, is uh, is minimal. There are all various alternatives that the company can use to to manufacture the required Humphreys volume. Obviously, our preferred uh, opportunity remains the development of a multi species mill. Humphreys being poultry only, the strategic opportunity in the southwest is for us to develop a ruminant feed uh, activity. And because of uh, inflationary pressures on the initial costs, it's um, those added complications that we are currently in a process of refining before we finalise what our uh, what our end decision is going to be and the precise nature of the development that we're going to uh, we're going to initiate. And is there an earn-out for Humphreys? Uh, yes, the uh, the acquisition um, arrangements uh, did include an earn-out arrangement, uh, which was based on volumes. That earn-out period has now concluded, and the earn-out arrangements uh, have been paid and are recorded within the results that we have um, announced. The earn-out did not reach the maximum amount, which was a total of some £2 million, uh, with the payout actually being £1.1 based on volumes, with obviously volumes being uh, depressed for the reasons that Gareth explained, uh, the uh, the avian influenza affected the volume and therefore the level of earnout. But that is now uh, all reported and uh, concluded in those interim results. And can you say a bit more about the fertiliser market? Has some of the competition dropped out and are there acquisition opportunities in this market? Yeah, as far as the, the, the market is then, so if, I suppose if we take the last two-year period, yeah, volumes have dropped to a degree uh, as the price of fertiliser went to £1,000 a tonne, certainly in the livestock sector. Um, maybe some of those volumes have dropped as people have utilised, could understandably farm the avenue is far better than they did previously. Uh, within that period, um, there's a large US business by the name of CF Industries. Uh, they were the largest manufacturer or the only manufacturer of ammonium nitrate in, in the UK. And you may recall back to the period when carbon dioxide shortages were seen as an issue. Uh, the government actually came with, an, uh, when CF actually closed production because of the economics, uh, the government came to an agreement that they would subsidise that to a degree to continue. Um, anyway, post that, uh, CF have now um, closed the one plant at, um, at Ellesmere Port, broadly speaking, as a capacity of a million tonnes of fertiliser, uh, both ammonium nitrate and um, what we call uh, NPK compounds. So the only plant they now have in the UK is that we're building them in the northeast. So yes, the competition has decreased. Uh, what opportunities does that bring for us as Glasson? Uh, there is a void uh, because the market certainly isn't back to the scale that uh, CF of uh, close production of. So there's a void there and an opportunity, particularly in NPK blended uh, um, blended manufacturers. So yeah, there is an opportunity. Uh, we as Glasson, we still use CF as a supply of ammonium nitrate as a raw material, in addition to importing as well. And can you say a bit more about the digital offering? Do you think that you'll be able to develop it further? Uh, yes. the. Uh... Continued use of uh, online trading is inevitable in our marketplace. I think in agriculture, it probably has lagged uh, a little behind uh, other sectors for uh, some of the reasons that Gareth explained. But our investment in this area continues because um, we recognise that ultimately more and more activity is likely to migrate uh, online. So although our current uh, offering uh, requires uh, customer identification, because primarily those people who do want to trade would like to uh, book the transaction to their uh, 
credit account and that remains uh, you know an important differentiator for us so we want to maintain the offering of that benefit but whilst making the um, the site uh, wider and easier to use we currently have around 5,000 lines listed on the site and we're um, uh, rapidly uh, commencing our next phase of development, which will be uh, effectively click and collect uh, in, uh, in in customers' local depots. Can you say a bit more about the new environmental land management schemes that you referred to? Is their increased impact over time positive or negative for you over the next few years? Uh, yeah, so the environmental land management scheme is a scheme which is related to central government, so therefore England. Um, will it be positive? What's, what's, what's the change? Let me start with the change of it all then, really. So under the under the common agricultural policy, farmers were effectively paid for uh, how many acres they farmed. So uh, irrespective of whether you were efficient or not, if you had uh, a similar acreage, um, me farming 300 or to the far guy next door farming 300, irrespective of how good we were or indifferent, we get the same amount. So that is certainly changing now. So the environmental land management scheme is very much about um, coming out of that common agricultural policy scheme. Uh, and uh, 2024, there uh, will be a halfway point in the transition. So in 2024, uh, farmers' incomes, um, as far as government support, 50% will come from the old land-based scheme and 50% will be from environmental and efficiency programs. Uh, for Wednesday long-term, we see this as very positive because those farmers who will be rewarded will be the efficient farmers who are seeking to invest in the business and we sell products and services, and also those who are very keen to support environmental outcomes. And um, you know, our product offering, whether it be uh, um, environmental seed mixtures, uh, the nutrient management plans and the bespoke fertilizers, uh, investment in the infrastructure of containing farm avenues and slurries and, um, and new seed varieties and newer farming practices uh, is very much what we do. So for Wednesday, we see it as positive long term. Tremendous. Thank you very much indeed. And that's the end of questions. Gareth, do you have any closing remarks? Uh, other than to uh, thank everybody for joining us uh, this afternoon. And if anybody should wish to uh, follow up the presentation with a discussion with Paul or myself, we're always available. PI World videos and podcasts are for general information and interest. They do not constitute any kind of recommendation or inducement to buy shares of any company. PI World is not offering any kind of financial advice and nothing in our material should be taken as such.